So you don't want to feel like your life is just passing you by because you're in a blur of work and the same thing over and over again. And so like just grounding yourself 10 minutes a day, it's, it's that easy has made a huge difference for me. And it's made me reconnect with, again, what's important. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What is your team culture like? What is your leadership style? How do you make decisions? These are all questions my client was recently asked. These questions came from different people, their current team, people who they were interviewing, who wanted to work for them, even their mentee. They all wanted to know, what's it like to work for you, to learn from you? And when I started working with this client, they had some generic answers that they could speak to each of these questions, but sometimes they weren't as confident in their answers as they'd like to be. Now they're able to confidently describe with examples, the cultures of their team, their leadership style and how they make decisions aligned to what's important to them by describing their values, how they model those values and how they reward and recognize those behaviors. Can you answer those questions for yourself? Let's dig into these together. Join us in the catch crew, a place to grow your career intentionally to get the skills to intentionally grow your career and your teams through your own leadership. When you join, you get instant access to team building tools, including values first, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, values first. You get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. That's the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. We are bringing you a listener's favorite this week from season two, Belonging and Advocacy with Amanda Knox. Not only was this episode a listener's favorite, but also one of my favorite podcast episodes and interviews that I've ever done. And there are, there's just so many different lessons to take from this episode and from Amanda First, just to take a step back, the first lesson that I took from having her on the podcast was simply to ask. I know that's very simple to ask. So I'll back up for a minute. You just never know who you will meet or who you will be introduced to. So I found myself in a position to share my experience in connection with Amanda. And it was probably the last 30 seconds on the Zoom meeting that we were on. And at the end of it, I decided to ask her to be a guest on the podcast. And she said, yes, very easily and very thoughtfully. You know, I'm one of those people that doesn't always ask, well, because I don't want to bother someone, 
I don't want to inconvenience others. And sometimes I'm just plain scared to ask for what I want or need. I was recently facilitating a workshop for executive women and this exact topic came up. We are so willing to do things for others, but often we don't ask others when we need help or to rely on our own networks for something. I can't count how many times I wish I asked somebody something when I had them, or I wished that I asked in a different way or asked for more. And yeah, so these days I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to get out of my comfort zone a bit more. And so one of the lessons that I took away from the experience is to ask for what you want. More than likely, they will say yes. And I'm really glad that she did say yes to be on the podcast. I took so much from this conversation that I had with her. Another learning from this podcast that I've taken away is the integration that Amanda describes in her life and her work. And I know that that's going to be a big lesson that you hear from this podcast as well. And most importantly, I loved learning about what her advocacy looks like. Amanda's advocacy work has centered on her own lived experiences as an exoneree. And in this episode, she tells about her current work and how that shows up in her life now. So advocacy is one of my core values and it looks differently for different people. And for me right now, it looks like being in connection with people that don't have the same experiences as me. It looks like donating money and donating my time to causes and organizations that I care about and I support and to serve the groups that I know need supporting. And it looks like taking care of myself so that I can create more impact and do more. And so this listener favorite episode is being aired during the summer so that I can have more integration and priority with my family during the summer. But this is the episode I knew you needed to hear today. So let's get started. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Thank you so much for being in this space with us. Yeah, thank you. Um, I've never really considered myself a C-Suite person. I don't have that lingo in my uh, in my vocabulary, but we are in my vocal booth, which is about as C-Suite as it gets in, in my domain. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I, I want to, we'll dig into that. Like, I want to hear about all of the rooms that you're in and, and what you're doing and lots of different things, but what does life look like for you now? Like what, what is every, what's a day in the life of family life, work life look like for you these days? Yeah. Um, because I have a 15 month old daughter and both my husband and I work together. We work from home, everything we do, we do at home and we've been doing that for a long time. So for instance, when the pandemic struck, it wasn't quite as a um, shock to our system as it was for many people. Um, we were used to working from home and we were used to that rhythm and self-discipline, that kind of thing. So I think the most disruptive thing has been having a baby because now I am a full-time mom and I am also still working full-time as you know a, a creator of content um, in the podcast realm, but also in writing. Um, I occasionally write for different publications like The Atlantic or, um, you know, various other publications. So it's a lot. 
but it is really, really fulfilling. I feel like somehow I got lucky and found a niche where I get to express myself and feel like I'm doing really good work. Um, and it's not just a grind, even though it is a grind because <laughs> everything is. <laughs> but yeah, day in the life is um, simply getting up super early and starting work as soon as we're awake, honestly. And I think that's one of the the tricky things about being self-employed and about being a creative self-employed person. We don't have regular hours like you would a normal in a normal company or anything like that. I think a lot of CEOs can definitely appreciate that feeling of you, you, your work is your life and you take it home with you. And mine is literally in my home. So I juggle baby and I'm doing emails and I'm getting on interviews. And I think the biggest shift for my husband and me is we finally hired a person (laughs) to work for us. So we have a production assistant who has been taking up some, um, some of the responsibilities that I had before, which was in the production of a podcast is something like going through transcripts and helping to like sketch out drafts of scripts, things like that. How has that felt getting that off your plate? I mean, on the one hand, I really enjoyed always getting in into all of the weeds of everything. It just, it was really for the longest time, just me and my husband, we're a very, very startup, I would say, <laughs> but like we've been startup for like five years. <laughs> and, um, I loved the way that the, the work distributed itself. Um, it's been a shift, but also I just love being a mom. Like I, I love that job. It's the best job ever. And I just happen to have been really lucky to get a very, very happy, cooperative uh, kid as well. Like it, I'm sure some moms have a lot more trouble because they just have someone who is combative with them, but really like my daughter, um, she's a very happy kid and she is also totally happy to entertain herself as long as she's in the same room with you. If you have to go, like, as you saw, as we were entering into this space, there was a little bit of disruption when she was asked to leave the room. (laughs) (laughs) What are you finding most fulfilling now in motherhood? What What are the things that you just love doing? And then maybe one thing that you don't love as much. So I love being present. I think that's something that we forget to do when we're, especially business owners, is um, we're juggling so many things and we're having to think really far ahead and project and plan and strategize that we lose sight of the only thing that really exists ever, which is right now. And my daughter is extremely good at fixing me in the present moment right now we're playing and right now we're hungry and right now we have a poopy diaper. So let's just be with each other right now. I think a challenging thing for me is the multitasking and having to keep track of her life and her needs on top of my own life, my own needs and my husband's life and his needs. And then the life of our business and its needs. There's like a lot of things that I have to keep track of. And it's not just, it doesn't seem like it's just more of the same. It's it's just, it seems exponential, the number of things that I have to keep track of. And it's frustrating when it uh, 
I lose track of one thing or another. And then like a scheduling conflict arrives and I'm like, oh, I normal me would never have made a scheduling conflict, but mom and business owner me is struggling to find that balance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so relatable. I think that the complexities, they just get so much more complex. And I, so my kids are seven and 10. Mm -hmm. um, And I wish I could tell you that it gets less complex, but it does not, but they do (laughs) get more self-sufficient, which is helpful. Yeah. And I'm like, even projecting into the future again, here I go, thinking about homeschooling my kid. And I live on an island, so it's it's more common. And just thinking about how that whole routine is going to enter into our routines today is going to be very interesting, but I love a good challenge. I love it. I love that you're thinking about doing that and um, what it will mean for family life and how to then interweave all of the other things that you want to get done for fulfillment. Yeah, I I read a really great book when I was pregnant called Hunt Gather Parent. And the really innovative but not really innovative idea behind it among many things was that today in modern society we tend to have these very separate spheres. There's the family life and there's the work life and there's the husband and romantic part of your life. And then there's the, you know, friends and parent or whatever, like everything is sort of separated. And as a consequence, we feel less connected. And one of the things that I have really enjoyed about my life up to this point is how actually connected my life is. My husband and I are not just husband and wife who come home at the end of a workday together. We work together. And I can't tell you the number of people who have said things to me like, oh my God, how can you work with your husband? And like, not just that, but right next to him, like, how do you do that? And I, I don't know. It's, I've always really enjoyed it. And the idea of you know, shipping my daughter off to go like be a person and learn about the world, you know, as a part of our ecosystem still feels very foreign to me. So I, I'm the idea of homeschooling is really just a, an extension of that idea of like, we're, we're an ecosystem and all of us are interconnected. Her work and my work will be interconnected. And that's just what it is to be human. So that's, I I don't know, that's something that's always really resonated and I've enjoyed. I know it's not for everyone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I love how it just seems all very integrated um, to your point. And in our podcast, we talk a lot about values and how those show up in different aspects of life. So I love this idea of interconnectedness because I think um, when we think about work and life, we have been told and the systems that have been built have made them separate. When they are not, we're we're whole people, right? Yeah. And like, especially when they're separated, we lose sight of what it's all for. And I think that is something that I very much cannot lose sight of because of the way that I've built my own career and life is they're interconnected. And at no point am I forgetting that, like, when it all comes down to it, my husband and I are trying to create the best life that we can for ourselves and our children. And they're right here in front of us. So that is really fulfilling and really grounding. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of the things that, um, you know, that I'm seeing now as I interact with leaders and corporate, especially women, you know, they sometimes lose sight of that. And so sometimes it's like grounding back into what matters most to you and the insights that they have, you know, they might be like high achievers and it shows up in work, but it's also showing up and, and doing all the things. And then by the end of the day, there's nothing left for them. Yeah. And we, we lose sight of that doing, doing things for others. I think it happens a lot, um, especially with women, because we like to give and we like to take care of and all of those things, but we often forget to take care of ourselves. Definitely. And we find ourselves, I think, especially when we find ourselves removed um, or distanced from ultimately the, the life and the people that we care about most, we end up giving a lot of our energy that we should be giving to our like family and children to other people who ultimately down the line. And it's like, why did I, why did I do that? <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It's been very, very clear for me where my priorities are um, just due to the particular extreme circumstances of my, you know, life experience and situation. Like, you know, when everything is taken away from you and you're sitting in a prison cell alone, like there are certain things that you're thinking a lot about. There are certain people that you're thinking a lot about. And then there are other aspects of your life that are you're not, you know, obsessing over and haunted by the distance that that's created between you. And so, like, really, I am not confused about who and what is important in my life. And I, I don't think I'll ever forget that. So that's one of those like bittersweet uh, things that I'm grateful for, for extreme experience. Right. Right. And I, and to your point, like you have that lived experience and I wonder the, the people that don't have that experience, we're going by what we think we should be doing, what we think, you know, others want from us. And when you're exactly right, it goes back to at the end of all of this, I'm not going to think about, did I work enough? Like, no, it's not going to be there. It's going to be about what matters to me, my family. And did I build that life that I've wanted to this whole time? Definitely. So I know you mentioned like, hey, maybe I'm not in the C-suite or I am because you you are because you are in you have your own company. So, yes, of course you are. But I'd love to to talk about kind of what leadership roles that you have and kind of what rooms are you in now? I think you're you're on a board. You still have you have a lot of advocacy work. Can we talk about some of those experiences and just this idea of showing up as a leader in those rooms and what is that like for you? Yeah, that is a great question because outside of just my career work, um, there's a lot that I do. And one of those is I'm on the board of the Frederick Douglass Project for Justice, which is an organization that is attempting to put people who are not in prison in contact with people who are in prison. It's really simple. Um, I think, again, we're talking about those separate spheres in our society, we tend to lock away behind very large walls, the problems of society. And as a result of that, we have lost perspective of the humanity that is entangled in all of that. And so the idea behind this organization that I'm a part of is to connect people across that barrier and to reestablish a relationship of trust has to be earned, but of shared 
humanity and commonality and recognition that so many of us find ourselves not in prison, not because we're better, but because we've had better circumstances. And that is really, really key, I think, especially when we think about when people have made a mistake, how do we reintegrate them back into our society and our lives? Because they don't just disappear, even though it appears that way when we throw them in a prison cell. The other organization that I'm really close with, I actually went last weekend, or I mean, not last weekend, like literally I just got back yesterday um, from New York um, was for an Innocence Project event. So for those who are not familiar with the Innocence Project, it is it was founded in the late 80s by two gentlemen, two lawyers, um, Barry Sheck and Peter Newfeld, both of whom had experience either as defense attorneys or as civil rights attorneys. And their big idea was very simple. Let's use new DNA technology to revisit cases and prove people innocent who have been convicted and have had no chance. So they have been doing that since then. They have overturned over 200 convictions since the 80s, just their project alone. And it has grown into now an international network of different projects. So the Innocence Project, um, the first one is based in New York, but there's some kind of innocence organization in every state of the United States. And there are different organizations scattered around the globe at this point due to all of this effort. And we call it the Innocence Network. So I frequently go and do things like public speaking to help raise funds for this project. And it is one of the most fulfilling things that I have ever done, not just because I know that like my story is going to help, you know, inspire people to then pass that those resources along to the next person who needs to get out of prison as an innocent person, but also because it's connected me with other people in my situation. Um, when I first came home from prison, I thought I was the only wrongly convicted person ever. Or if I wasn't the only wrongly convicted person ever, I was never going to meet someone else like that. Like how, when, how would I ever meet someone? And I wasn't even sure if I wanted to, because very honestly, being a wrongly convicted person by definition means that the worst experience of your life just suddenly happened to you for no reason. Like you had nothing to do with it. And so the idea of like getting invested in a movement that about the criminal justice system for someone like me, who was like, I'm a poetry student. I'm, I, you know, I like, I like foreign languages. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to go to law school. Like that's not my, that's not my world. I, I sort of convinced myself that maybe I didn't belong. And what ended up happening is I was really struggling for many years after I came home. And finally, my mom convinced me to go to one of these conference events put on by the Innocence Network. And when I got there, I found myself surrounded by hundreds of people, wrongly convicted people, mostly men, mostly men who are much older than me, men of color, men who had spent decades in prison for crimes they didn't commit in this country. And it was the first time in my life that after I came home from prison that I felt like I was home because 
suddenly I was surrounded by people who I didn't know existed, who knew exactly how I felt. And I did not have to explain myself. And to this day, I, it is a breath of fresh air every time I come into a room with other wrongfully convicted people. They are they're my family that I never knew existed. And it's so fulfilling to get together with them like I did this past weekend to share our stories and um, and find commonalities and find common purpose and just try to pass our good fortune forward. I love that you use the word home and belonging. Um, because it, it feels like before that you didn't, you, well, it didn't, you didn't expect that to be the case. Mm -mm, I did not. I thought that, you know, I would go home and go back to my life, right? I fantasized so many years in prison. Like, I just want to go back to my life. I felt like I was living someone else's life by mistake. And then when I came home, I realized that my life after being accused, after being in prison, that life that I wanted to go back to no longer existed. And I was changed by my experience. And so I had to rediscover not only what was home for me, but also who I was. And reconnecting with other people who have gone through that same experience has been extremely helpful for me. Even if I like then go off on my own direction, you know, like I think I might be the only exoneree I know who has a podcast, you know, but, um, once you meet and connect and like find common ground, you then feel like you have some sort of steady ground to stand on for your, for you to blossom in your, whatever direction you choose. And I love that as a mirror for other places of belonging. We talk a lot about work, um, on this podcast because we spend so much of our time at work. Right. Yeah. And as you think about that, if, if you are in a place that you feel like you belong, the connection, the fulfillment, the action that you can take moving forward is just exponential. And I think it makes it like the thing that I've noticed, and, and this is true of people who work in the innocence movement is like the day in day out of trying to get innocent people out of prison is a grind and it is just and it's just a battle every day and it makes a huge difference to like just have a moment of connection because again it grounds you in the why like why am i even getting up in the morning and answering emails again like well because of these people who i love and because of these principles that i care about and they are, these people are living embodiments of that. Like that is the thing that helps you. It's just, a, it's just that energy exchange that makes it possible to feel like you're not just lost on or walking a treadmill. You have direction, you have energy, you have momentum and you're not alone. My award-winning book, Values First, how knowing your core beliefs can get you the life and career you want is now available in audiobook. Since the book released just last year, the biggest question that I've gotten from readers is, is it available in audiobook? In this book, you'll get to hear my most pivotal career stories, 
and some of the successes of my clients as you learn about the Values First framework and how you can take action on your life and career. The audiobook is narrated by me, so if you love this podcast, you'll love the audiobook. Values First, how knowing your core beliefs can get you the life and career you want, is now available on Audible and iTunes. Systemic change is hard work. There are sometimes no big wins, lots of setbacks. And to influence big systems like criminal justice reform and organizational culture, different laws um, within states or nationally, different legislation, it can feel very overwhelming, right? And so um, I love how you've described um, the connection to others and bringing it back to your why on how you do the daily stuff to get to that long-term thing. What other um, actions, I guess, would you suggest in terms of getting through that grind, that overwhelm? You know, it's going to sound kind of cliche, but um, a good 10-minute meditation every day has been life-changing for me. Like true, I started doing daily 10 minutes, just 10 minutes of just devoting 10 minutes to yourself to be present with your own mind. Just 10 minutes a day can really, really take that feeling of weight off of your shoulders and help you feel like you are just even present and aware in your experience. You don't want to feel like your life is just passing you by because you're in a blur of work and the same thing over and over again. And so like just grounding yourself 10 minutes a day, it's it's that easy, has made a huge difference for me. And it's made me reconnect with, again, what's important. Like some of the things that we do, we, we find ourselves on these in this like loop or the cycle, or we were on a path and we sometimes lose sight of why we chose that path in the first place. And maybe, maybe just sometime down the line, you might want to redirect, but you're not going to notice in time <laughs> unless you're just giving yourself 10 minutes of your own attention, of your undivided attention. I love that too. And the, the impacts that it could have. And like you said, in the integration of everything else, I bet that it also helps to be a, a more present parent as well. Oh, yes. And I think it one of the other things that it's really good at is it stops you in your tracks so that you don't just keep perpetuating cycles that are potentially just creating further obstacles. And it causes you to just reflect like, oh, do I have to be feeling you know frustrated this morning? Actually, maybe I don't. <laughs> maybe I just don't have to feel that. Maybe I can start over right now. I can, like you literally can, and it'll change your entire day and you'll get way more stuff done. You'll feel better about it. And you won't die of a heart attack when you're 50. <laughs> I love that. I'm a, um, I have tried meditation many times. I am in my head all the time. Anyway, I'm an introvert. I think a lot, I observe things, but sometimes I ruminate and I get stuck in the trap. The times that I have tried to meditate, I also start like putting value on, was this a good meditation practice today? <laughs> and so I've even had to like 
take that thought out. Okay. That's just a thought too. And so it is. Yeah. All I would say is that's just a thought. And like, that's the beauty of meditation is like the whole point of it is to just notice yourself thinking without judgment. Yeah. And like, I, I'm very similar to you. I ruminate, I go down like thought loops and whirlpools and meditation just lets me notice that about myself and just kind of accept it for a moment. I can be frustrated about it later. Just mm-hmm. right now, I'm just going to let that happen, notice it, and maybe in the noticing of it, put a stop to it, but maybe not. And that's okay. Yeah, it is okay. Mm-hmm. I like the, the, the pause because I think the pause then, um, if you're practicing that pause every day, then maybe in other times of the day, whether it's a stressful moment or just a moment that you need to consider lots of different things, it just puts you in the practice of doing that in lots of, lots of different ways and lots of different decisions. Oh yeah. And pausing before a decision is always a good call, (laughs) whatever decision it may be. Just give yourself a moment, a breath before you proceed, because you might change your mind in a split second. Absolutely. So you mentioned lots of different, different parts of your life. And I am kind of obsessed with this topic of boundaries. And it feels Mm -hmm. like you have lots of, you've kind of mentioned a few here and there, but I'd love to specifically ask you about kind of what kinds of boundaries have you put in place for different aspects of your life to have this integrated life um, for work, for life, for advocacy? How has that shifted over time since you've been back, since you've been building your family, all those things? Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I think off the top of my head, the first thought that I have about boundaries has to do with online presence. So my career does depend upon me interacting in a public arena. Um, I'm making, you know, what ultimately comes down to an entertainment product that I hope has, you know, purpose and meaning and educational, you know, opportunities, but people tune in because they like it. Um, So that's, that's what it is. And I am aware that the way that our, media and our um, digital platforms are designed is to absorb our attention. That is the commodity and the resource that they are taking from us. And that's why it's worth it to them for to give us free content all the time. Um, They want our attention. And the cost of that can be incredibly costly in a way that people don't even realize not just because we're spending more and more time staring at screens instead of interacting with the people around us who we love, but also because it changes the way we think. So if you are constantly in a little echo chamber of live stream content or whatever it may be, your brain changes and you, what is important to you changes and also how you feel changes. And so I really am cautious and mindful about any kind of interaction I have with online content and um, online social media, that kind of thing. So that's my first clear and obvious boundary. Also, because I've seen very personally what the really horrible (laughs) costs of social media usage and as they have pertained to me personally, people believing that I'm a psychopathic killer based on zero evidence simply because certain headlines like stimulated and titillated them. Like it's that 
easy for us to be manipulated by these algorithms and products. Other boundaries, I mean, there are a lot of boundaries in my life, um, simply, again, because of the weird extreme circumstances of my personal life experience. Um, I'm very protective of my family's personal privacy. I don't like it when paparazzi show up outside of my house. It's very disturbing to me. So I try to be very careful about protecting those spaces. Like my home is sacred to me. My daughter and her privacy and her life is sacred to me. Other than that, I would say because I work from home, <laughs> it's I have a harder time drawing the boundary about when and where I stop working and thinking about work because a lot of the work, again, is stuff that I care about. It's mm-hmm. storytelling and 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 criminal justice reform and all of these different topics that I would think about for fun anyway. And I think ultimately it comes down to a hierarchy of not needs, but of priorities. And my priority number one is my daughter. And my priority number two is my husband. And if any of those things come into conflict with my relationship with them, like I take a step back and go, do I need that? How can I interact with this in a way that is not going to interfere with my relationship with my daughter? And really at that point, like it's so easy right now because all that's required of me as her mom is to be with her and to not be distracted. And I love that. You mentioned priority of um, daughter. You mentioned priority of husband. And then you also did mention your um, priority for meditation. What other, what other things are just for you? How do you prioritize yourself? Well, I need to make this more of a priority because it was my go-to like happy thing that I did. I really enjoy crafting. (laughs) I'm a, I'm a huge nerd and I love like costumes and stuff like that. So for instance, um, one of the things that we want to do for Halloween is we're going to throw an Alice in Wonderland party. And we are not just like creating our costumes, but you know, we're making giant paper mache mushrooms and we're like, we're, we're big nerds. And we like, we <laughs> like to like create things with our hands because we spend a lot of our intellectual time and our work time just in this intellectual product arena. Right. So making things with our hands um, is something that both my husband and I really enjoy, but we haven't had as much time to do that with, with baby. So, right. Right. I love that you're a self-professed nerd. I think all of us are in something. And if you're not, then you might be lying to yourself. Yeah. What, what's your thing? I like to do indoor rowing. That's sort oh. of random. Nope. <laughs> yeah. So I do that. I've never rowed an actual boat, not on the water ever. Never. Really? No, no, huh. not ever. It's on my list. Um, there's, there's a lake. I am, I'm in Dallas. I'm kind of landlocked, but there are some lakes around here. So, um, so that's on my list at some point to actually do it, to be honest, I'm afraid that I'm going to hate it. (laughs) And so I, I kind of, I've been putting it off because I have the, I've romanticized it so much. Um, but that's actually where I find like my meditation, like my head is so clear when I'm rowing on my water rower inside. Um, and the repetitive motion is like, 
I can just like get lost and I'm just thinking about how to make the next stroke the best one. Right. And so, so it's, um, that's kind of where my, my meditation lives and kind of my time. The other thing I do just for me, not just to nerd out, but just for me is, um, is to walk. I, I walk a lot, um, around the neighborhood with, we have a relatively new puppy in our family. And so he has a lot of energy. So we, we go outside a lot and just kind of move my body is the what a great excuse to go outside. I also love to hike. I, um, I'm really fortunate to live in an area that I'm surrounded by forest. So there's a lot of great hiking trails and I love that. Awesome. I love that too. Well, um, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. And I'd love to ask you, how do you think we can individually support any of the advocacy work that you're doing? What, what is most helpful? You know, well, you're down in Dallas. So what I would say is just get to know your local innocence project. A lot of people don't know that there um, are local specific um, innocence projects or innocence organizations. And the Texas Innocence Project is fantastic. One of my really good friends, Anna Vasquez, um, who is another exonerated woman, is on the board and she's fantastic. So look into your local innocence project and just check in, see the number of ways that people can help wrongly convicted people. It's not just money, right? It's not just like giving money to the charity. Like there were ways that people came out of the woodwork to support my family, which was a family in deep, deep crisis that included donating air miles so that they could travel to visit me, even just trying to, you know, organize data files. Like there was a million, there's a million needs that any family that is going through that crisis needs and we can fulfill them in so many different ways. It'd be even as simple as like, oh, I can help answer the phone for you sometimes. Like it's, it's that easy. So um, that would be really cool. Just getting to know even your, what is happening in your local jurisdiction in terms of um, what, what's the prison system like where you are? And are there any issues that are being raised about the causes of of crime, even in general? And that's just for people who are actually guilty as well. Like why is crime happening? And is there anything that the community can do to provide support to those who are at risk so that crime doesn't happen in the first place? All those kinds of questions are important. And how can we um, support your work, your podcast? Oh, well, you can listen, which is great. Um, It's called Labyrinths. Um, You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts and um, you can also find other, all of my work is collected on my website, which is knoxrobinson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Amanda Knox and on Instagram at Knox. I just want to thank you so much for being in this conversation in the space with me today and just so happy that we were connected and that we dug into some of these important issues. So thank you so much for your time. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. 
To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.